I hope you all are well. Um, I hope you've had, there it is, hope you've had a good week so far. I've had a, I've had a really hard week. Um, I'm, I'm tired, I'm more like tired of heart. Um, so uh, bear with me as I'm tired tonight. Um, so welcome to RUF. I'm glad you're here. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm the campus minister with RUF. Um, if this is your first time, you're probably wondering, what is this place? What is RUF about? Um, I feel like I feel like that song. I don't feel like I know that song we just sang, uh, Psalm one thirty. That's what that's what RUF is about. It's we want to engage with the hard things of life because we all have them. Um, we want to cry out to the living God and see if He's listening. See how He listens. See how He cares for us. And then we're about waiting. There's a lot of waiting that we do in life. There's a lot of waiting we do in college for like tests to get back all the way to like does God care in the midst of all this stuff and um, so I hope I hope that's my favorite song that we sing here Um, by far it just is incredible waiting for the Lord um, more than watchmen wait for the morning hoping in him knowing that he will redeem us so um, if that's intriguing to you I'd love to get together with you and talk more about what that looks like and how you can join with us um, as we explore and wait and pray and um, do all that stuff. So, anyways, um, this semester we've been talking through the book of Leviticus, um, and it's been a really good study for, for me. I hope it's been good for you. And um, we're at this... Oh, i got to turn to it, actually. Um, we're at this, uh, this really important chapter in this book of the Bible, chapter 19 in Leviticus, um, and it really is it's a chapter all about, okay, how are we to live in response to what God has done for us? How are we to live in response to um, who the living God is? And we've talked a lot about that. And, and um, over and over again in this chapter, this chapter 19, over and over we're seeing again this theme of love. God calls us out of response to his love for us, to love those around us. And so we're going to look at that again. Um, we've looked at this text already, but we're going to zero in on it a little bit more and look at it again. So to get us started, I want us to, I just want to tell you about a podcast I heard while I was mowing my lawn eh, two weeks ago, something like that. Um, and it's a, this, the podcast is This American Life. I don't know if you've listened to it, haven't listened to it. It's a great podcast, really thought-provoking, highly recommend it. And in it, that tells the story of a Romanian orphan named um, Daniel. It's uh, his adopted name. And uh, he grew up in an orphanage in Romania. And um, he says there were about 100 kids in this orphanage. And um, just because they didn't have the resources that um, an orphanage would like to have, uh, you know, they had to, like, Daniel had to end up sharing a crib with another baby. And um, they had, they were overworked. And so the, the caretakers couldn't really care for the children that, the way a baby deserves or needs. Um, and so as a result, he never really had any toys. He never really had any affection. And so then he, um, he, he never really got the care that he deserved or needed. Um, he was never really shown parental affection, um, which is so important to a child's development and care. And eventually he was adopted by an American couple. So he was seven years in this orphanage, and then he comes over to the States. And... Um, on his eighth birthday, they're explaining to him, so, you know, we adopted you. We brought you over from Romania, and we, we adopted you into our home. And poor eight-year-old Daniel really struggled to understand what was going on in his world, what, what had just happened. And um, he, he couldn't understand especially why his biological parents would give him up. 
So he developed a pretty deep dislike or hatred for his biological parents. And that manifested, uh, you know, as you listen to the podcast, it manifested as hatred for his adoptive parents. He just, he, he hated them. Um, and it says, uh, anger took a logic of its own and he needed someone to hate. So he started to have these major tantrums when he started, you know, eight or nine. And they started to escalate and they started to turn more and more violent. Um, and then so, so social workers would come and try and take care of him. And the social workers would leave like bloodied and beat up because he's, he's just getting more and more violent. He hates this situation. Eventually he had to be taken out of school because he was so violent. Um, and, then, and then as it got worse, he started to turn on his mother. And it's t- his, they interview his mother and it's just fascinating here how like, he just weaponized anything he could get his hand on. So to empty his room of everything except the bed because he would just destroy and he was violent towards her. And it, it just gets worse. Like, he hated his mother so much that they had to hire a bodyguard to protect his adopted mom in the house. So she would be doing her life, and this bodyguard had to stay there. A little, a little teenage, you know, like preteen. And eventually, um, they, you know, they had to call the police weekly. And the low point, uh, the mom tells us in the, in the, in the podcast, is... Um, one day he ran up and grabbed a knife and put it to her throat and was ready to kill her because he hated her so much. So um, they knew something was wrong, and so they eventually diagnosed him with, detachment, with an attachment disorder, and he had, he had some problems. And so they started this treatment, right, all kinds of really intense psychotherapy treatment and um, trying to curve his sociopathy and kind of create at least some empathy, maybe some love. Um, so they tried medication that didn't work. They tried a puppy, and he ended up strangling the puppy, uh, they tried like taking him to a synagogue to like talking about religions and, and morality with him, and he just like absolutely nothing to do with it. Nothing was working. So his parents were at their wits' end. Like, how do we deal with this child? Like, can we keep this child in our home? Um, and it's a fascinating podcast. And they're like, basically, how do we get this child to a receive our love and b start to express it? Like. First, we need him just to receive the love that we're giving him, but also, like, how do we develop some empathy in him? Um, and uh, uh, that's sort of, like, what this text starts to get at tonight, is the question of, like, how do we develop, how do we de- develop love for one another? Um, and so let's look at this and, um, and dig into it. I want to keep that in mind, and we're going to cycle back to it at the end of the story. So look with me at the bulletin or in your Bibles. This is Leviticus chapter 19. There's just two verses tonight. This is God's word. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Let me pray. Lord in heaven, thank you once again that we can gather tonight and um, sing, pray, and hear your word. We pray that you would meet us here uh, out of all the diversity of positions and religious views and thoughts in this room. We pray that you would also be present with us um, and that you would speak through your word once again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, I want to look at this text in, in three ways. Three, three things I want us to look at tonight. First is the command to love. That's pretty obvious. The command to love. Then I want us to look at the problem to love. And ultimately, I want us to look at the solution, how God provides a solution to love. So first of all, the command to love. So it's pretty easy if you look at this text, what's going on here. God says right off the bat, 
He says to his people, people of Israel, he says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. And he sums it up. He says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, a lot of you have probably heard this. Even if you don't come from a Christian background, you've probably heard something like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in a lot of ways, this is sort of the summation of Christian ethics, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, in fact, Jesus himself summarizes the whole of Christian ethics, and he says, everything sums up under this. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything about how Christians ought to live in an ethical world can, fi- can be con- subsumed and fit under that. Now, that's not unique to Christianity, right? Christianity can't claim you know, like the, the market on love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, um, it's kind of a maxim around the world, across time, across religions. Um, some religions will put like a negative spin on it that says don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to you. Some of them will say it in the positive way. Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, kind of love your neighbor as yourself. As you would want to be loved, that's how you should respond and live in front of other people. And I was just doing some, just a cursory look at this today, kind of across history. Like, everybody had this sort of ethical rule. Uh, ancient Egypt, India, Greece, Rome, Persia, they all had a version of this. Baha'i faith has one. Islam has something like this. Hinduism, Buddhism, African religions, Confucianism, Muhammad, Judaism, they all have a version of love your neighbor as yourself, Right? Okay, so, of course, Jesus does that. And I, I would think even, I think even secular, like people who say, like, I'm not religious, don't, I'm not, I don't fit into any of those. Even that, there's, there's sort of an ethic of love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, sort of people who say, like, we're humanists, we don't believe in God, they have these manifestos, they have gatherings together and say, okay, well, if that's true, God doesn't exist, how are we going to live? And they say, well, we should, it's a great idea, let's love our neighbor as ourselves. So everybody sort of has this guiding ethic, right? Everybody has this idea of love your neighbor as yourself. We all know what to do, right? Everybody agrees. This is how we should live. Somebody want to let Belle in? She's locked up. Um, so, oh, there she is. Okay, um, so, um, so everybody agrees. We know what to do. We know how we're supposed to do this. Um, it's an ethical command to love that's, that's kind of ubiquitous. Everybody says, but what I want us to look at tonight is that there's actually a difference in the way Christianity expresses it. There's something unique about how Christianity and how this text gets us to, tonight. And here's, here's what I'm going to say. This is, this is intense. Okay, honestly, every other religion or thought system, they can't answer why we struggle to do this, I think. They, they can't answer why do we all struggle so much to love our neighbor as ourselves. They can't get at the core heart of it. And I think Christianity does. And not only does Christianity get at the core of why we can't do this, it actually provides a solution in the midst of that. So there's a bigger problem, and Christianity acknowledges that bigger problem, and a bigger solution, and Christianity offers that bigger solution. I think that makes Christianity the most unique and, honestly, the most right religion. So let me me see if I can prove this to you. Let's look at it and see how it applies to us. So first... The bigger problem, the deeper problem of love. So it's a universal global, global command um, that we need to love one another. As we, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And everybody agrees, like, yeah, we should do this. And I think everybody would agree that, like, we as the human race struggle to do that. We're not so good at it. We really struggle with loving your neighbor as yourself. 
And that's not easy for, that's easy, that's easy for us to see. Just like, for starters, just look in your own family. <laughs> like, I meet with a lot of you, and I talk with all of you. When I meet with people, like, one of the first things that always comes up is, my family. My family is a mess. There's stuff going on where I'm not loving my family as I should, or my family's not loving me, me as they should, Right? All right, now push it even beyond family. Think of your friendships. I guarantee that at least at some point in the semester, you had a friend who did not care for you as you would have them have cared for you. And if you're honest that you didn't care for them how you, you know, as, 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 you, as you would like to have cared for them, right? We all do this. Now push it even further. Think about the school. This week as you've walked around campus, I'm sure in front of Corbett you've seen this big campaign about sexual assault. This is us that Wave's been putting on. Great campaign, and like, why do we have to do that? Because there are a bunch, there's, there's people here who don't love their neighbor as themselves. That's what assault is. So, like, as a campus, we, we fail to do this. Of course, you look on a bigger scale, a national or a global scale, and it just gets worse, right? It just gets worse. So, from our families, from our relationships, all the way to a global level, we've got this problem. Like, we all know what to do, and yet we still can't seem to do it. We can't seem to actually dig up the chutzpah, the willpower, to go and love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, the text gives us some pro- starts to give us some. Look, at, look with me at verse 17. Look at verse 17. What does it say? It says, You shall not hate your brother. And then verse 18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. You shall not hate your brother. You shall not take vengeance. Now, two things about that. Hate and vengeance. What are those? Those are external activities. Those are behaviors that we go and do to other people, right? So it's saying your external behavior should not be one of vengeance and hatred, of lack of compassion, of even active animosity towards your neighbor. So together it say, these two, do not hate, do not take vengeance. There should be no actions of unlove, of judgment, of hate, of disdain towards those around you. Now what am I talking about here? Really, this is amazing, like the scope that this is talking about. It's talking about all possible human interactions. Like, and I mean that, all possible human interactions with another person should not be marked by disdain, by vengeance, by lack of charity. So in this passage, we've looked at this already, and you can read it for yourself elsewhere. That's talking about this should be true in, in court, in the legal and political realm. This should be true in the economic realm. This should be true in the family and marriage realm. This should be true with caring for the poor, with those who are foreign and not native to the country. Like, all possible human relationships should not be marked by external actions of hatred, of vengeance, right? Okay, but it looks, it goes deeper than that. The text goes, it doesn't just say, like, treat others, don't, you know, tr- don't, don't hurt them. It goes deeper than that. Look, look with me. This is so interesting. Look at verse 17 and 18 again. It says, Do not hate your brother in your heart. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. Now, this is so interesting what the text is doing here. It's starting with external behavior, but it's driving inward. Do you see how it's doing that? How it starts with external behavior and then pushes into our very hearts. Like, it doesn't just say your actions have to be some way, but it actually says your heart, your inward disposition towards people has to be 
one of love. Now, this cuts us even deeper, right? Not only is it now just saying, don't just treat others the way you would have them, but actually think about them. Have thoughts towards them of love and of charity. And that, that cuts deep because we like to think of ourselves, you know, in the West as like decent, civil, social people. Like, sure, I'm not great, but I treat most people in line at Taos or in campus with a general respect, right? Like, yeah, maybe I'm not the most caring, but I treat people with general respect. But the text is going deeper than that. Do you see that? It's going to our heart and it's saying even the way that you think about people should be one that is marked and characterized by love. And boy, howdy, is that where we start to break down, right? The Bible cuts deeper than our actions into the very disposition of our hearts, and here it condemns us. And this is how the law in Christianity it works. It shows us the goal, and then it just shows us how far short we stand, how far short we fall of like, this is what God would have for every human interaction to be one marked by love, even in our heart's disposition. And man, I know I don't measure up. I meet with a lot of you, and let me tell you, you don't measure up either. No offense, I love you all dearly. And... That's just the way it is, right? The Bible cuts through our actions, decent and civil that they may be, and says, yes, but your heart disposition is often marked at least by vengeance and hate, and possibly even by unlove. Now, what are some examples of this? Well, I can think of two examples. Um, This sort of passive-aggressive vengeance or bearing a grudge. Man, we all do that, right? We all do that. This is huge today. We think that we're, you know, we're decent in our actions, but boy, we're like, man, that person is such a, uh, they treated me like this and I'm just going to uh, judge them in my thoughts, right? So examples of this, um, how many of y'all have heard of triangulation? Triangulation, I'm sure you family science majors have heard of this. What is this? Well, it's in social interactions where two people are having conflict. What do they do? They triangulate and they find, they bring another person into the issue, right? We all do this. I do it. You do it, you do it to me, I do it to you. We all do this, right? What is it? We all the time, even in RUF, when there's a problem between two people, we bring another person in for stability or just to vent at or to rant at. Because why? We don't want to go to the person. We'd rather nurture that vengeance. We'd rather nurture that grudge, right? It cuts right at us. But look what the text says. Oh, man, it's brutal. Do not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Doggone it. There it is, cutting right across the triangulation and saying, don't do this. Go to them and say, friend, we've got issues. Let's talk about it. Right? It says, no, you can't. And that is when you're engaging with someone and saying, I love you enough to go through crap in our relationships to come out stronger the other side. That's what is the beginning of starting to love one another. When parents are fighting, they bring kids into it. When siblings are fighting, they bring parents into it. We all do it. What's the alternative? Reasoning frankly. Hey, we need to talk. I love you enough to talk about this. Okay, there's another thing that we all do here. Grudges. Man, this one stings. It hurts me because I love to just nurture some secret grudges. Like, oh yeah, Jonathan's a pastor. He loves everybody. Yeah, but you should hear what I think a lot about some people. (laughs) Yeah, 
It's not good. Like, it, this, this stings. It cuts to us. Like, we all have these sweet and easy little things that we nurse against other people that we just judge and condemn them. What does Jesus say about that? He says it's basically murder. You're basically murdering them. It's vindictive. So what is, it, what is this saying here? What does the command say? It takes our actions. Do not hate. Do not bear a grudge. And it drives it internal. Do not take, do not take vengeance. It drives it into the core, to our very heart. And see, this is where Christianity is so unique. Because it doesn't just act interested in your, in your actions, but it cuts to your very heart and says that there's something wrong with the very core of who you and I are as humans. What does Jesus say? He says something at this, about this in Mark 7. He says, From within, out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within. Now, how many of y'all have read Heart of Darkness? Maybe in your high school literature class. Anybody? Okay, some of you. Well, if y'all read, it's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. It's just gorgeous on a literary level, if nothing else. So anyways, in the book, um, it's, about a, it's uh, about a guy who's steaming up the Congo River, uh, and he's with this really amazing character named Captain Kurtz. And um, as they're going up the river into the jungle, it gets darker and darker around them, right? Um, and it, the, the jungle just gets blacker and blacker, and, and the people around them just get more and more debased and wicked. And at the very end of the book, Captain Kirch just screams out, the horror, the horror! And that is, literary theorists will say, like, it's a metaphor for exploring into the human psyche, into the human heart, that the deeper you go, the blacker, the more destructive, the more vindictive it gets. So what's the problem at this love others command that we all recognize we should be doing? What's the problem? Well, Christianity says that our deepest core, our sinful hearts are disposed, are predisposed to all kinds of unlove, towards hate, towards vengeance, towards grudges, and worse. So, Christianity starts off by saying it's worse than you think. Don't just go out and try to fix yourself. Christianity comes in and says, no, there's, there's something actually wrong with us. There's something actually, you can't just go start trying to love others. There's, we, need to, we need to fix the core of the problem. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes in and starts to offer something different. So where's their good news? Where, in the midst of our heart sickness, where is their goodness? Well, the good news is that God, in the midst of our heart sickness, God moves close. So back to the story of Daniel. So he had a really, you know, obviously he had a huge attachment issue. So they're, bat, you know, they're batting around. How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to love him? And so they come across a therapist who says, I've got an idea. I'm not sure it's going to work, but it's worth a shot. And they were like, we've done everything else. What are we going to do? And he says, basically, we need to do some re- restorative, intense reattachment therapy. And he says, basically, what we need to do is recreate the mother-infant bond between Daniel and his adoptive mom. So he says, for the next eight weeks, I don't want you, his mom's name was Heidi, he says, I don't want you, Heidi, more than three feet away from Daniel for the next eight weeks. You are not like you're supposed to, they put a cot down next to his bed. If she went to the restroom, he was right outside the door. If he went to the restroom, she was right outside the door. 
Then they recreated. He wasn't allowed to ask for anything. He could not ask for anything. He had to depend on her to provide everything. She, she had, they had to, he had to basically become an infant again. And he had to learn to depend upon her again. And, and it's, I mean, they had to do eye contact therapy. They had to do these things called time outs. I mean, time ins. Rather than time outs, like when he was bad, they would say, go to the corner. Well, that was the problem. He liked the corner. So rather than doing time outs, they would do, when he was bad, they would do time ins, and she would bring him closer and closer and closer and closer, forcing him to attach to her in a way that he had never attached to a human being again. 20 minutes every night for a year. Every night for a year, she would physically cradle him. And he was a teenager by this point. She would hold him like a baby while he was going to bed, right? And recreate. And, and, and he's like, he, 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 he's in the interview at this point. He's like, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I wanted nothing to do with the woman. And this was a huge sacrifice on her part. She had to quit her job. She had to move close to the person who hated her. She had to risk injury. A huge sacrifice. And he learned that from the heart that she actually loved him. And eventually, over time, it talks, as, it, as it talks, it, he says, like, he, he, he's talking and he just says, I don't know. I just woke up one day and I was like, I think she actually loves me. And I think I might actually love her. And y'all, it... It's so powerful because later, you know, he, he starts his slow recovery and eventually he goes to his synagogue. He starts going to his synagogue more often. And eventually he wins a prize for philanthropy and for service in the synagogue. So all of a sudden this person starts showing empathy and caring for other people. And he, he gives this speech and they have a recording of the speech. It's so powerful. Oh my gosh, I, I wept. I heard it again today and I wept because he's in this speech and he's talking about like, what the synagogues meant and all this stuff and this prize. And then he just stops. And it's quiet for like seven seconds. And he just starts, you can hear him crying over the voice. And he's like, Mom, I love you. And I know you sacrificed so much for me. And he says, Dad, I love you. And I know that every day that we threw a baseball that you loved me because, of, you know, it's just, he's talking, it's so powerful. So powerful. And y'all, that's what God does to us. He comes close in the midst of our heart-wrecked sociopathy. He comes close. How does he do that? In the midst of our hearts of darkness, in the midst of our inability to love each other, God moves, moves close. Jesus Christ is humanity's attachment therapy. Jesus Christ is humanity's attachment therapy. This is God, the manifestation of love, coming close, so close that he becomes human and comes and holds us. He comes close and says, I love you. Not only, and he sacrifices everything. What is the cross? The cross is God's, Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. Jesus himself talks about it in John 15. Listen to his words. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Listen, he's saying the exact same thing that we read right here. He says, Go love one another. But then listen to what he says. Listen closely. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Do you hear what he's saying? 
Here's Jesus Christ, humanity's attachment therapy, coming close and saying, I love you so much that I'm willing to sacrifice everything, even my life, so that you can have a new heart, so that you can start to know that you are loved and can start to love one another. So what can fix our heart of darkness? What can fix our unlove? Well, like Daniel, it takes sacrifice. It takes affectionate, tender love. Ephesians 2 says, God loved us with such a great love that Christ would die to our, for our sin. God loves with such a love that Christ would die for our sin. What inspires love, y'all? What inspires love? Greater love. That's the only way. The only way, the only thing in this universe that can inspire our love is greater love. And when you grow to know how much God loves you, then you can start to go out and love and care for one another. Jesus' death on the cross is the proof, the greatest proof that you and I can ever have of how much God has committed and loves us. And only his sacrificial love can drive out our love. And that great love can prompt and inspire neighbor love. Do you all see that? Do you all see how that works? Do you see how utterly unique and earth-shattering that is? That God would move close to us in the midst of our heart of darkness to love us and then empower and enable us to love one another. What kind of love can inspire a sociopath to cry for love for his parents? Costly, sacrificial love. What kind of love can move our grudge-filled, vengeful hearts to love one another? Costly, sacrificial love. And that is what we have in Jesus Christ. And when you know in your heart of hearts that you are loved, you can love others in your heart of hearts. And the deepest part of you knows and trusts that God loves you with the kind of love that he does. You can move towards others. So friends, look at Jesus. That's where it all starts. It starts with looking at Jesus. So this is more than just good advice. Christianity is totally unlike any other religion because it doesn't just say pick yourself up by your bootstraps and go try to love one other people. No, it says look at the ultimate manifestation of God's love. Study that and it will begin to crack open the heart of darkness in all of us and inspire and instill and bring us to love one another. May we do that as a community. May we do that as a university. May we do that with our friends, with our families, with ourselves. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for this time that we can look at your word again. Lord, thanks that it challenges us, that it shows us the ways that we do not measure up to what you've called us to. Um, But Lord, thank you that it does more than that. It also shows us how much you love us. That Jesus Christ, the God-man, humans' attachment therapy comes close to us and loves us sacrificially. Lord, may we dwell on that anew. May it touch our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.